But if this is your first time here, or if this is your first Sunday in a while, uh, we have been going through a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon from the Gospel of Matthew. Over the past couple months, Pastor Tom and Pastor Sam, uh, they've shown us that the Sermon on the Mount is not just a set of rules to keep, not uh, just uh, uh, actions to adopt, but the Sermon on the Mount is actually a description of what life in the kingdom of heaven is like. Put it another way, the Sermon on the Mount, it teaches us what it means to, to truly flourish and to be humans. We've hit on topics such as anger, lust, loving our enemies. Uh, most recently last week about religious hypocrisy, which definitely ministered to my soul. But in our passage today, we're going to see how Jesus desires for us to deal with material possessions, with goods, with money. So if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24 in your Bibles. If you have a program, it's also there or in your Bible apps. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say to the crowd surrounding him back then and what he has to say to us today now. So I'll read for us Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 16. Jesus continues his sermon on the mount and says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's a reading of God's word. Uh, I remember very vividly the first time that I got glasses uh, back in the first grade. Um, as a kid, I actually loved to read. Uh, I loved reading whenever I got the chance. So in the car, on the way to school, in the dark, uh, when I was walking, just I loved reading. And I loved reading so much that by the time I was six years old, I had strained my eyes so much I needed corrective lenses. So I actually asked my mom yesterday, like, hey, uh, mom, how did you know that I needed glasses? And she was just like, well, it was obvious. You're just squinting all the time, right? Just walking around, squinting, looking at things. Um, my teacher at school would also tell him that, um, hey, I think your, your kid is having trouble seeing, right, in, in the classroom, at recess, just having a lot of trouble. So needless to say, uh, my parents took their advice. We went to go see the optometrist. I got my first pair of glasses. Uh, you all know the type, like the, the round, rimless ones. We've all had them at one point or another. Uh, but when I got those glasses, my life changed. For the first time in a while, I don't know how long, but for the first time in a while, my eyes functioned correctly. Right? I didn't have to squint to see what was on the whiteboard. Uh, I wasn't tripping over things that I couldn't see. I could run around in recess. Right? I could do all these things. My sight was restored to its intended state, right? Those, these glasses helped my body, my eyes, to function the way they're supposed to. Much like my first grade six-year-old self, I think some of us, most of us, maybe all of us, are also in need of corrective lenses. Not these glasses, but without knowing it, I think the way that we see money and material goods and our possession 
it's over time become blurry and not functioning the way uh, humans are supposed to function, right? For many of us, the way that we approach our money and our possessions, it's not that much different than how the world does. And this actually has a very significant impact on us. And what our passage today shows us is that Jesus, he, des- he desires to restore our eyesight, right? He wants us to see material possessions, money, our goods, as he intended us to, as true human beings. To learn what Jesus has to say about navigating our hyper-materialistic culture and world, uh, we're going to just look at three things today. And first, we're going to look at the importance of seeing treasure correctly, right? What sort of treasure should we focus on? And conversely, what sort of treasure should we not focus on? Second, we'll examine the symptoms of bad sight, right? What are the effects? What are the consequences of not seeing our treasures, of not seeing our possessions correctly? And finally, we'll see that the solution is shifting our gaze, is to change our focus from one master to another. So three S's, seeing treasure correctly, symptoms of bad sight, and shifting our gaze. So we'll start now with our first point, which is to see treasure correctly. Now, our passage contains three illustrations that a lot of us, maybe all of us, are somewhat familiar with, uh, maybe separately or in parts. But what might, what, what might be new to us or what we might not have known is that these three separate illustrations, they're grouped together back to back to back, and they say pretty much the same thing in slightly different ways. And to caveat, we're not going to go through, you know, in-depth in all three of these. Uh, it's such a linguistically dense and poetic passage that, uh, you know, in the half hour or so that I have, it would be impossible to cover all those nuances that get lost in translation. Uh, but if it isn't obvious from the three headings, the three points that I gave, the illustration I'll mainly reference and use is the second one. It's the eye being the lamp of the body. And it's not random, I didn't just choose one of the three, but I actually do this because I think the eye connects the two other illustrations that is sandwiched in between. So uh, to, to reference, let's read again verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? Right, the Greek word that is translated as healthy in this verse, in verse 22, it's not just this physical health, but it actually carries this connotation of wholeness or singleness of purpose or undivided loyalty. So if if we approach this passage, this verse, this illustration with that in mind, we see that the healthy eye, the good eye, is one that is wholly, single-mindedly, undividedly fixed upon God and his kingdom values, right? It's this idea of single-mindedness that connects these three illustrations, right? If you want treasure that lasts, you can't lay it up both in heaven and on earth. You have to single-mindedly lay it up in heaven. Similarly, you can't double-mindedly serve both God and money. You have to choose one or the other. You have to wholly give yourselves to one or the other. But what does it mean for the eye to be the lamp of the body? If you're here with us last week, Pastor Sam, he showed us that God our Father, he promises us rewards, and not, in, not only in heaven in the distant eternal future, but right here, right now on earth. Right? He has designed us to be 
incentive-driven beings that, that respond well to, to incentives. So he knows the place that our treasures have in, in dictating, in, in directing our lives. If we look at verse 21, Jesus says this clearly. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? We might have heard some version of this in the past, but Jesus is basically saying that whatever you value, that's who you really are as a person. The things that are dearest to your heart, that's who you really are as a person. And the Jewish people in the, in the crowds that were listening, they would have understood that the eye uh, reflects and projects what is inside the body, this theory called extramission, which we now know scientifically, it, no, no, the light comes into our eyes and then we see, it's not the other way around. But this belief that they had about what the eye does, right, it, it, it shows outside what is going on inside, it parallels verse 21, right? The things that we, that we treasure actually govern our lives. The treasures in our hearts, they tug at our emotions, they consume our mind and time in how we plan and think and daydream about whatever those treasures are, right? The things that are important to us, they, they reframe our vision and they fill our eyes with either light or darkness. How does this play out, though? Like, on, on, on the ground level, how does this play out? Uh, many of you, uh, some of you maybe, uh, know that I've been dating my girlfriend for a little while now, and I have to be careful what I say because she does listen to the sermon recordings. So I might be taking a risk, but in the past couple of months, something that we have been talking about a little more seriously is marriage. Um, there's a lot of times when we're talking and we're discussing and, you know, we're talking about, oh, how beautiful the ceremony's going to be, how wonderful it's going to be, how all those things. And, and Lord willing, yes, it will be that. But in, in the back of my mind, what I'm thinking is, like, that all costs money, right? Like, it's, it can be beautiful. And, yes, I'm looking forward to one day, Lord willing, but that's a lot of thousands of dollars, Right? And for her, it's a little bit more appealing because she doesn't have to worry about an engagement ring, right? Like, I, that is just my mind. Anyways, right? <laughs> Talking to my friends that a lot of them have actually gotten married the past couple of years, um, when I talk to them, like, this is a known reality. Like, the cost of having a wedding is not something you could just... I, I mean, I guess you could put it on a credit card, but, like, that's something that frequently gnaws away at my mind, my heart, my entire being. So it shapes the way I spend my money now, right? I'm trying to pinch my pennies wherever I can, right? If you look at my Google search history, I'm, like, looking at different, like, all sorts of different vendors and quotes and whatnot, right? And obviously the ring, like, <laughs> I have to get that right. But functionally, what this concept, this future, perhaps, idea of, of a wedding, what it has become is that it's become a treasure of my heart, right? And I have to constantly repent of that. And, I, and I'm not repenting because I'm saying marriages or weddings are bad. Like, please, don't, don't get me wrong. In fact, I, I think, hopefully, like, all of, especially our married folks here, they can affirm, like, marriage is a good thing. It, it honors God. You love it every day of your lives, Right? Uh, but the fact is that this good thing ha has taken up so much real estate in my heart, right? It governs my life more than it should. It reveals where my treasures really are. And, and the consequence of that is it squeezes out all these other values of the kingdom, 
right? I'm so fixated upon uh, the different costs, the ring and what, whatnot, that I'm not really thinking about how I can think of others before myself, right? I'm not thinking, I don't really care, like, how do I relate to uh, the people in my spheres, my family, friends, like, that, that, that comes at a distant second, third place behind this wedding, right? And it might look different for everyone here. It probably does, right? Not everyone here is thinking about marriage or a wedding right now. But don't we all have these treasures in our hearts, right? Whether it's like the next big purchase we're going to make, our next vacation or trip away, whatever it might be, don't we have things that govern our lives, these treasures in our hearts? You see, the eye that is healthy, that is full of light, is the one that sees that the treasures on earth will be destroyed by moth and rust or stolen by thieves, right? Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's a possibility. Maybe your things here on earth will, you know, be destroyed. He, he states that it is an inevitability, right? Everything that you possess here on earth, everything that we have right now will go away, whether it's by moth, rust, inflation, thieves, whatever it might be, right? Everything that we own here, our material possessions here on earth is temporary, it's like Monopoly money, right? Whenever we play the game of Monopoly, yes, those bills, those small little bills, they matter. They actually are worth the, the amounts printed on them, right? Those ridiculous amounts printed on them. But when the game's over, when we put the board away and the pieces in and the dice, we don't keep those bills, right? We know that those bills are worthless. You'd look like a fool if you tried to pay for your bills with Monopoly money, and, and that's silly, and that's very obvious to us, but don't we do this? Right? Don't, don't we approach money and our possessions in a way that often reflect that, hey, functionally, yeah, they are the ultimate good. The, the stuff I possess, the money that I have, my bank account, this is, this is it. Right? This is all I have here on earth. The way that we assign so much value to our bank accounts and stocks, to our cars and our homes, and even to our careers and our relationships, it's, it's, it's as if we're treating monopoly money as the real deal in the kingdom of heaven. Right? Storing of treasures here on earth, it might seem natural, it might actually seem like the wise thing to do, but our lives, they truly flourish when we store up treasures in heaven. In the economy of God's kingdom, we can't diversify our portfolio like we do here on earth, right? We have to be single-minded. We have to be holy. We have to be all in on either God or money. That's what Jesus says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot serve God and money. And side note, that word money I just read... Um, this could be another sermon or like 15 minutes, but basically this word money is actually this Aramaic word mammon. If you grew up in the church, you might have heard about it. You, you're like, okay, it's like some sort of material good. or but, but basically what this is, it's not just gold or silver or coins or paper bills. Mammon is literally anything that someone puts their confidence in, anything that they put their trust in. So with that in mind, we might read this and think, wait a minute, like, I can serve two masters. What's, what's wrong with being employed by two different, three different, four different jobs, right? I, I know people that um, have an office job, a nine to five, and then Uber on the side, DoorDash, whatever, right? I, I have a side hustle. We, we think, what's wrong with serving two masters? But 
back in Jesus' time to serve a master wasn't to have multiple employers, but it was literally to be a slave, right? Without all the negative connotations that we have uh, these days with that word, but it meant that you were exclusively owned by, you were exclusively owing your service to one master, right? You can't love, you can't be owned by both God and mammon because they're opposed to each other, right? They, treasures in heaven and on earth, they go in opposite directions, right? They're light and dark. You, you literally cannot be on the five north and the five south at the same time, right? You either got to be going one way or the other. And like that, we cannot serve both God and money. We cannot choose to be owned by God and mammon, whatever it is. So to have a healthy eye is to see our treasures correctly. That, that the treasures here on earth are transient, temporary. They will glow, go away. They're worthless in the long run. And it's also to understand that you have to, you must be single-minded if you want to flourish as a human being. That's what it means to see treasure correctly. It's for your whole body to be filled with the light of God's treasure. But what happens if that isn't the case? What happens if you don't, if you're not filled by the light of God? Right? What if you cho choose to lay up treasures here on earth rather than in heaven? Or what if for some reason you believe that you actually can serve two masters? Yeah, there's no problem with that. Which brings us to our next point, symptoms of bad sight. Right? The crowds that Jesus was preaching this sermon to, it was filled with Jewish people who would have known the phrase, the evil eye. That was a saying, an idiom that referred to being stingy or greedy. Right? Rather than being generous and pleasant and decent, uh, people with the evil eye would be critical, selfish, looking for faults in everyone and everything. We know some people like that, right? Though there are a plethora of different symptoms, uh, I'm going to give us just three different ones, right? Just three different symptoms that might indicate we have bad or evil eyes and that we might be seeing treasures on earth incorrectly. So the first is a normalization of sin. Right, that's the first symptom that you might, you might have uh, the approach to possessions and material goods. It might be upside down. Right, when the eye is bad, what enters the heart will also be full of darkness. So when we place our trust in mammon, whatever it is for each of us, we start this snowball effect of compromise. Right? For example, if your mammon is friendships, right? That's where you, you place your trust. That's where you put your certainty into. That's where you really pour your resources into because you find approval and comfort and security in having friends. What might happen is you'll find yourself compromising on certain things, right? You might start going out and doing things you normally wouldn't. You might take a sip here. You might take a puff there, right? You might miss a Sunday service here or there. Like, all my friends go out and they take trips. It's not a big deal. And slowly or rapidly, over time, you're, you're finding yourself going out every weekend, getting drunk, right, doing all these things. You, you're looking at yourself and saying, how did I end up here? Right? You, you don't bat an eye when you skip a Sunday service, right? It, what happened, right? What happened is sin became normalized because your treasures, they drifted from heaven to earth. Darkness entered your eye and then into your heart. You have become less human. The second symptom of having bad sight, of seeing our possessions incorrectly, is burnout. 
And, and that might sound unrelated, like how did you get there? Uh, but there's this quote from author Anne Helen Peterson. Uh, she wrote a famous article on burnout, specifically burnout for millennials, for BuzzFeed back in 2019. And she writes about this experience that millennials have. She writes, quote, why can't I get this mundane stuff done? Because I'm burnt out. Why am I burnt out? Because I've internalized this idea that I should be working all the time. Why have I internalized that idea? Because everything and everyone in my life has reinforced it, explicitly and implicitly, since I was young. Life has always been hard, but many millennials are unequipped to deal with the particular ways in which it's become hard for us. Uh, if I look at our church, most of us are millennials, uh, mo this, and we, we, we can understand what Peterson is saying, right? When I first read this, I, I felt that. I still feel it, right? Because Peterson, she's describing every millennial that's grown up uh, in this Western culture of productivity that's ingrained in us, this mindset of efficiency and striving and earning and proving our worth. And I'll confess that there are days when this is how I feel, right? I'll just look at my to-do list, see so many things, feel overwhelmed, and my only response is no response. Like, I'm just like, I cannot find the, the motivation or the desire or the drive to do any of these things. I'm, I'm burnt out. And the more and more that I talk to collegians and moms, working young adults, dads, the more I realize I'm not alone. This is, this is the experience that us millennials and even more for Gen Z now, this is our experience. This is so widespread that we perpetually feel burnt out. Aren't you burnt out on being burnt out? Right? Aren't we all so tired of this? What happened? How did we get here? Again, our treasures, they drifted from heaven to earth. Our master became productivity and maximization rather than the God who invites us to Sabbath and rest and enjoy his presence. This lingering sense of burnout is a symptom that we have become subhuman, that our eyes have become bad. And the third and last symptom is this, we become religious, right? You, your religiosity, my religiosity, that might be a symptom that we don't see treasure correctly. And this is a result of thinking that we actually can serve two masters, right? This is the, the most subtle symptom because on the external, on the outside, we appear to be laying up our treasures in heaven, right? We attend uh, Sunday service. We're a part of our community groups. We'll answer questions here and there too. Like we're doing all the right things. But like we've been saying the past several weeks, Jesus is not after the external and our actions. He's after our hearts. He's after the internal things. The person with the symptom of religiosity, he or she deceives him or herself into thinking, hey, as long as I do the right things, as long as I do the, quote, Christian things, I can continue to fulfill my desires. I can do whatever I want. What happens is you see God as just another employer, right? You just say the right things to, you kind of act and do the right things in front of him. You clock in at church Sundays, maybe community groups, middle of the week, and then boom, Rest of the time, you're back at your main job, right? You're back at your, uh, your owner, your main boss, mammon. 
According to one commentator, this is when a person's darkness is the greatest, right? When he thinks his darkness is light. His double-mindedness, his self-deception, it's brought him to this point where he thinks he can serve both God and money. And I agree with him because this describes me so accurately in my younger days, right? I think I've mentioned it multiple times, but my younger days, I was a Pharisee, man. Like, I put on a show. Like, I led praise in youth group. I came out to everything. I volunteered. I did all that. But middle of the week, man, I was so different. Like, I was at the skate park every day. Like, I don't have to say anything more than that. I was at the skate park every day, right? My my middle of the week life and my church Sunday, Friday life, they, they were at a total disconnect. And when I look back, I now see that I use religiosity, I use religion as a cover-up to justify my actions throughout the week, to justify my storing up treasures here on earth. So you see in all three of these symptoms, in the normalization of sin, of burnout, of religiosity, the root cause is misplacing our treasures. It's caused by splitting our loyalty from God to other things. It's from having a bad sick, unhealthy eye. See, every choice that we make either lightens or it darkens our being. And what happens is if these symptoms continue, our bodies and our hearts, they get dimmer and dimmer until gradually it's just darkness. And it's at that point we have become less human. We don't function the way that God designed us to, right? We, 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 We claim to live in his kingdom, but our values, our morals don't line up with them. We were not meant to lead lives of sin and compromise. We weren't meant to feel perpetually burnt out and and having to summon up and muster up the energy to do the bare minimum to get by every single day. We weren't meant to use religion to justify ourselves, right? These, These things that have become so normal for us, that isn't the way we were meant to live. Like shalom, peace, the way God intended it has been broken. And aren't we all sick of this, right? We, we can all see this inside of ourselves, different times, different seasons. And aren't we sick of this? For some of us, you might feel hopeless. You might feel apathetic that you can never change, that, some, that, that your situation can change. But I want you to know that this passage is not meant to beat you down with more condemnation, to make you feel hopeless. This passage, it actually shows us that there is a way to become more human. There is a way to restore health in your eyes. This is why we need the Sermon on the Mount. This is why we need the kingdom of heaven. Which brings us to our last point, shifting our gaze. So the opposite of a bad eye is very simple. There's nothing tricky about it. It's a good eye, right? The opposite of a sick, unhealthy eye is a healthy, single-minded, whole eye. And so the way that we can correct the, de- the way that we deal with our possessions, our goods, everything that we own, is to first remember that the eyes of the Father are on you. I think so often we forget that. I think we think uh, for some reason we have to kind of figure things out on our own. And we lose sight of the fact that God has his eyes on us at this very moment. This is the remedy to our bad sight. Just as the evil eye in Jesus' culture symbolized stinginess and greed, the healthy whole eye was a saying that represented generosity and goodness. In other words, our solution is not to clear out the darkness in our eye and in our hearts by our own effort, but it's to shift our gaze upwards towards God, 
towards the Father who is already looking at us with his eyes of generosity. It's, it's to, to, to look up at him, to get, shift our gaze toward the Father, our true master, is in a way to apply spiritual eye drops, right? It clears our eyes. We, when we fix our eyes upon God, we can't help but to get drawn closer to him and to take on the values of his kingdom. When we shift our gaze from the fleeting treasures on this earth to our creator and true master, our hearts, not only our eyes, get filled with light and we become more human. When we stop looking at the things that we own, the things we might own, the things we want to own, and what they can do for us, we can turn and see what God has done, what he already has accomplished through the glorious work of the cross. The incredible truth of the gospel that is almost, if you think about it, ridiculous, is that each in, of, in each of our lives, God's eyes have been set upon us from before eternity until now. Think about it. Before we were made in our mother's wombs, God's eyes were set upon us and will be forevermore. Even in the moments that we're unaware, even in the moments we think we have no chance, even in the moments we might actually be trying to avert God's gaze, when we want to hide from him because we're so unashamed, we're so shameful, right? He sees every little choice that we take, every little thing that we do to darken our hearts, and yet he still offers us this opportunity to be made whole again, to flourish, to be human. And he did this through his son, Jesus. Some of us here, this might be the first time hearing the gospel presented, or it might be the thousandth or ten thousandth or whatever amount of time. But the beauty of it is it's still the same if we sit down and just absorb it. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ took on flesh. He experienced and resisted temptation to the fullest. He lived this perfect life that would be fit to take on the sin of all of our, uh, all of our sins. He was then crucified and actually died a physical death. He died and was in the tomb for three days. And then he rose again and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And he's watching us. His eyes are on us right now interceding for us. Think about that. How beautiful is that truth? And every day, every moment, he's inviting us to shift our gaze from the things here on earth that are going to go away in a couple years or days or months, whatever it is. He's inviting us each day to shift our gaze from down here, these treasures on earth, to the eternal treasures in heaven. And all we have to do is belong to him. We just have to gaze at him. We just have to live by the priorities of his kingdom. And this treasure... Uh, I think up to this point, it might be this vague thing, right? Okay, treasures on earth, treasures on heaven. These are very vague things. Dallas Willard, he's a philosopher and author and pastor and all these things. He has this to say about treasures. He says, the treasure we have in heaven is also something very much available to us now. We can and should draw upon it as needed, for it is nothing less than God himself the wonderful society of his kingdom interwoven in my life. This treasure that we are storing up is God himself. It's to have the kingdom of heaven not around us but in us. Interwoven in the fabric of our being as humans. It's God himself. Right, treasures in heaven, I think so often, uh, if, you, if you like serve at church or come from a smaller church, we use treasures in heaven as this kind of like joke. It's like, hey man, like you're doing a lot but treasures in heaven, man. It's like, ah, ha, ha, and then you're just like really sad after, right? 
Treasures in heaven aren't something distant in, the eternal, in eternity, right? It's not something that we can only enjoy when we die and go to heaven. As Willard says, treasures in heaven, it's access to God himself right here, right now, at this very moment. And that's what it means to become more human. It's for the kingdom of heaven to be present and interwoven in our lives. And what happens is if we continue to store up our treasures in heaven is that we become other-oriented, right? We no longer stay selfish. We no longer care about these material things here on earth. We can become generous because we see just how generous God is to us. Rather than focusing on the things that we don't have or what we lack, our healthy eyes, they see how much God has blessed us, what we don't lack, what we can be thankful for. Rather than hoarding up our money or our possessions, we see and think about how can we leverage our goods, our material possessions, to serve God and to serve others. We attend to the needs of every, everyone in our spheres, whether it's our family, our, our community, our neighbor, our Buena Park High School staff, Olive Crest, all these different things. We, we become less stingy with our time and resources, and we attend to the needs of others. We become other-oriented. We become self-giving. We begin to embody God's kingdom, and we store up our treasures in heaven by living out his values. It's that simple, right? It's the things we've been going through these past two months. It's, it's the beatitudes. It's diving into scripture. It's addressing our anger, lust, truth, sincerity, integrity, and so on. It's to live these things out. Again, in the economy of the kingdom, there's a different sort of accounting. Right? We accrue treasures not by earning or proving, but we accrue them by devotion. Practically, what I want to do is nothing crazy this week. I don't want, I'm not going to say, therefore, we must become generous to the point of selling everything we have and, you know, minimizing our, nothing crazy like that. What I want to encourage all of us and challenge us to do is this week, simply five to ten minutes each day to think about how your eye is, right? Is it healthy? Is, is, it, is it bad? What's entering into it? Is it light? Is it darkness? Ask yourselves, what really is the treasure in my heart? Is it God? Or is it something else that, that gets you going when you wake up? Right? If it's anything else, if it's treasures down here on earth, I encourage you, apply the spiritual eye drops. Turn your gaze toward the Father. Turn your gaze toward the, the, the one who is always watching over you. So as we draw near to the end of our sermon, I want to bring just one verse um, from Matthew, where Jesus talks about treasure, just this other place in the book, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus, he tells his disciples this parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He tells them the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The man here, he's not motivated by duty or religion. He's motivated by joy. He's motivated by delight because he knows just how precious this treasure is, this kingdom of heaven is. I think for a lot of us, especially if we've been going to church for a long time, is we just default. We blindly accept, hey, like the Sermon on the Mount, yeah, I should follow it, I should do it. Yeah, I should, the Ten Commandments, these are all things I have to do. And we don't think about it much, right? They just become rules we have to follow. But the kingdom of heaven is so much more than that. It's... It's treasure that lasts. 
It's treasure that helps us to fight against sin and compromise, that helps us to fight against burnout and religiosity. So I hope that as we all take the time this week to just intentionally think about where our treasures are, that God would remind you about the beauty of the gospel. I hope that he provides you with so much more awe and gratitude and spiritual strength so that just like the man in this parable, we would all great, with great joy, single-mindedly treasure the kingdom of heaven. Now to close, returning to the date that I first got my glasses, uh, my six-year-old kindergarten self or first grade self again, uh, when my sight was restored to me, right, when I, when I put these things on for the first time, there was utter delight, right? I couldn't believe everything that I had been missing out on. I no longer, again, I didn't have to, like, hold a book, like, right next to my face to read it. I didn't have, like, I could run freely on the grass field because, hey, I'm not scared anymore. I could see those little rocks and little potholes down there. And, and there was just utter delight because I was functioning like a human being again. And that might be a little bit dramatic, right? It's just glasses. But that was over 20 years now. And now I think and try to see it from the perspective of my parents, and I can't imagine the joy and delight that they had, right? To see that, oh, Daniel doesn't have to, like, like walk timidly. Like, he doesn't have to worry. He doesn't have to be scared. But he can enjoy life, right? He can just be a kid. What I want to encourage us is to know that an even greater joy than that is available to us. Our Father in heaven, he desires for us to enjoy this new life with him in his kingdom as fully human beings, right? He's the good, good father that we sang about. He wants us to regain our humanity, and this is the same father, the same God whose kingdom we'll continue to learn about in the coming weeks. So all we have to do is shift our gaze toward him and really treasure him and, and to see that he is the one that can really satisfy and fulfill as he continues to watch over us. Let me close this in prayer.